Hello there, and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is. It's a weekly podcast where we take a close look at some popular songs from the rock and roll era, and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Cole, and maybe I should have recorded when I was sick and had a lower voice, you know? Hey, don't forget to check out the website, howgooditis.com, where you can find some stuff that I found interesting and some other stuff that doesn't necessarily fit well into the podcast. And, of course, go follow and like the show's Facebook page, which has some other stuff that'll keep you busy, and you can find that over at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. Whoa, can you stand it? Five weeks later, How Good It Is is still a featured podcast on the Podcast Republic app. Now, it'd be nice to be featured in some other podcatcher, but what makes this one special for me is that I was with them before they were with me. Podcast Republic gives you fully automated downloads from all the major podcast networks, so if you want to listen to a podcast other than How Good It Is... Wait a minute, there are podcasts other than How Good It Is? Well, okay... You can build playlists. I, I didn't even realize how unique this feature is. It will synchronize your playbacks across multiple devices. So you can listen on your phone till the battery dies and then just switch over to your tablet or some other device. And I hear that there's a new feature that allows you to skip silences automatically. Podcast Republic is easy to use and it's free, so you can go find it in the Google Play Store. Dire Straits was a band that formed in London in 1977 and originally called themselves the Cafe Racers. At that time, the lineup was Mark Knopfler and his brother David and their friends John Ilsley and Pick Withers. Of the four, Withers was probably the most experienced musician of the bunch, having done some session drumming for artists such as Dave Edmonds and Jerry Rafferty. At the time the band first came together, Mark Knopfler was a teacher in an art college. They put together a demo tape that had five songs on it, Water of Love, down to the Waterline, Wild West End, Sultans of Swing, and a David Knopfler composition called uh, Sacred Loving. They took a copy of the tape to MCA Records in Soho, but they were turned down. So they went to a DJ named Charlie Gillett, who had a radio show on the BBC called Honky Tonk. They went in looking for some advice, but Gillett liked the music so much that he started playing Sultans of Swing on his show. And two months later, they had a contract with the Vertigo division of Phonogram Incorporated. Their first album was recorded at Basing Street Studios in the Notting Hill section of London in February of 1978 at a cost of £12,500. That's the equivalent of just under US dollars Just for the giggles, I did the math, and in today's dollars, that would be about $82,000, and it's still not a ton of money for an album. Vertigo released the album, and it caught the attention of someone at Warner Brothers Records in the U.S., however... It only caught the attention of one person. That would be artist and repertoire representative Karen Berg. She was convinced that Dire Straits Sound was something the public was looking for, and it took some convincing to get others at the label to agree. By this time, Sultans of Swing had been re-recorded and re-released as part of Dire Straits' self-titled album, and it was starting to climb the charts in the UK. As a result, Dire Straits got the opportunity to open for Talking Heads for a while, which finally led to a contract with Warner Brothers by the end of 1978 and a worldwide release for the album. Before long, the album had reached the top 10 in every country in Europe, plus the US, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Sultan's Swing was originally composed by Knopfler on a national steel guitar using open tuning. Now, I'm not a musician, but according to a couple of people I know who do play, one of whom is my brother, 
Open tuning means that Knopfler tuned his guitar strings to play specific notes so that when you strum the guitar without putting your left hand on any of the strings, the guitar would automatically play a specific chord. Now, if you wanted to play a different chord, you'd have to adjust your hands to a place that's different from the one you're used to for that chord. The uh, National Steel guitar, by the way, is the same one you see on the uh, cover of the Brothers in Arms album. Now, Knopfler didn't much like the song until he tried playing it on his Stratocaster, at which point things opened up for him. And in fact, he liked it so much that he used the Strat for pretty much everything on the first album afterward. As the story goes, Knopfler's first inspiration to write the song came from a night he spent in a nearly deserted bar in Deptford, which is in South London. The band members aren't necessarily there for the adoring audience, which is a good thing because there isn't one, but rather they're there because of their love for the music. And at the end of the set, the leader of the band thanked the room and said, we are the Sultans of Swing. Knopfler said in an interview that there was something really funny about it to him because Sultans, they absolutely weren't. You know, they would rather tired little blokes in pullovers, he said. There are a couple of interesting elements of the song that do have real-life analogs. For instance, when Knopfler sings the, si well, the line about the band playing Dixie double four time, he's referring to a style of playing that was popularized by uh, Django Reinhardt and early Les Paul, where the guitar is playing very quickly. And when he refers to how they don't give a damn about any trumpet playing band, well, this could be a reference to Alan Freed, the disc jockey who coined the phrase rock and roll. Freed, as it happens, had a band when he was in high school in the late 1930s, and he played the trombone in that band. And that band's name, coincidentally, was Sultans of Swing. Now, a couple of the band members mentioned in the song, uh, Guitar George and Harry, are based on real people. Supposedly, they refer to George Young and Harry Vander, who were members of the band The Easy Beats, which you might remember from the song Friday on My Mind. George Young is the older brother of Angus Young from ACDC, and the two of them helped get that band recorded. Now, part of the appeal of the Sultans of Swing, I think, is that it's such a departure for pretty much everything else that was on the radio at the time. Pop music was pretty much saturated with disco. Punk hadn't really caught on. It was still pretty angry anyway. The post-punk artists had yet to rise, and most guitar-heavy bands like Boston and Van Halen were very heavily produced, whereas Dire Straits has this very airy, atmospheric sound combined with a Bob Dylan-like delivery. Dire Straits really hit a sweet spot with their timing. And one of the more standout elements of the song is the guitar solo that Knopfler plays. Now, Knopfler's kind of tired of the song because he's had to play it thousands of times, but he still manages to elevate it when he plays it live by improvising and expanding it. But there's another detail that makes it sound interesting. The Stratocaster guitar had three pickups on it for transmitting the sound to the, to the amplifier. Two of them go straight across the strings. One is close to the neck and one is just a little bit lower. It's called the middle uh, pickup. And it's about halfway between the neck and the bridge, hence the name, where the strings end, okay? Uh, the third one is set near the bridge at a slight angle. And there's a switch on the Stratocaster that allows the player to select which pickup is going to be used, the neck pickup, the middle pickup, or the bridge pickup. Now what Knopfler did was he jammed the switch into a middle position between the second and third pickup, which meant that both pickups were sending a signal to the amplifier. That produces a much richer sound, and it was a technique that was imitated enough for Stratocaster to start installing five-way switches. So you could select any one of the three, or the middle one plus, either the top or the bottom pickup, without screwing up the switch. Now, Knopfler wasn't the guy who invented bridging the pickups like this. In fact, Eric Clapton does it on Lay Down Sally and Bell Bottom Blues. But coincidentally, it was right around that time that Stratocaster started marketing the five-way switch. 
And of course, the song was a big hit for the band, going to number four on the Billboard charts and number eight in the UK, as well as being a top 20 hit in most of Europe. Now, here's an interesting coda to the story. For a little while in the late 1980s and early 90s, a singer-songwriter from Indiana named Bill Wilson started claiming that he wrote the lyrics to the song. Here's an audio clip from 1991. Do you hear this thing that I co-wrote about, uh, I guess it's been about 12 years ago, I wrote the lyrics and a friend of mine, I used to work a lot of sessions for my old producer Bob Johnston and uh, worked a session with this fellow from England by the name of Mark Knopfler, has his own group over there called Dire Straits and uh, He had this little melody, it sounded like Walk Don't Run, and he was, had this little story concerning a band that uh, nobody wanted to listen to, only a few people show up to hear. So we got together one night after a session and tossed these lyrics around on a napkin, and I guess I, I, I wound up writing most of the lyrics to the tune. Made enough money to buy a new blazer that year, I remember, so. Didn't do too bad. You get a shiver in the dark, it's raining in the park, but meantime, sound of the river, you stop and you hold everything. Now, it's not especially likely that anything about Wilson's story is true. Knopfler has never mentioned Wilson, and Wilson is not credited for any contribution to the song. Also, the timeline doesn't match up. Mark Knopfler didn't come to America until after the album was released. The session work that he did do in Memphis was in the late 80s and early 90s when he was on a break from Dire Straits. Wilson died in 1993, so we're really unlikely to find out what his real story was. So, do all that what you will. And that's it for this edition of How Good It Is. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow me on Twitter at howgooditispod. You can also check out and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where I throw in a few extra bits for you. Next time, we are going to find out how good it is when you walk this way. And thanks so much for listening. I will see you next time.